Did your spouse tell you that the marriage is over? That there is nothing you can do to save it? How can some couples stay together for 10, 20, 30 years and still feel love, connection, and unbreakable desire for each other, and for others, even the five-year mark appear unreachable? Join me after the intro for a conversation with a very special friend with whom we will answer this and many more questions. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is it so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D, and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Try Show. Raise your hand if you have ever dreamt of your happily ever after as a child. If you did, it probably never dawns on you that your marriage might end up being anything but a happily ever after. Let's face it, None of the Disney movies gives the slightly clue that Cinderella and Prince Charming would ever have any problems, right? We all know that Disney movies are not real life, at least at a conscious level, but then in our hearts we secretly hope that we will be the exception to the rule. We will be the lucky ones who have a long life happy marriage. However, for many couples, it simply doesn't happen. Why is that? What makes a marriage stand the test of time and survive the challenges that life throws at us? And if on the rocks, how can we rebuild the marriage and reunite the spark? So today we talk about this topic with our guest, Anne Visser, about rebuilding a marriage, the pitfalls and the challenges that we encounter when it's on the rocks. Anne is a certified John Maxwell team coach, a speaker, and a trainer at her company for better and forever. For over 20 years, Anne has been equipping individuals and organizations to communicate in a way that aligns with their values so they can lead their families and teams into a better life. And if I may say, she definitely is someone who works the work. Having been married to her high school sweetheart for 42 years and sharing with them five now married children, if I understand correctly. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the Forgiven Trail Show. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Rosanna. It's such a privilege to be here. Such It was wonderful to meet you and to be here on the Forgive and Thrive podcast. And I'm really honored to be here today. And I, would, I want to add value to your audience today. And by the way, love the title. Love the Thank title. you. Forgive and Thrive. Beautiful. We love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sure you will add lots of value. But... So I understand correctly, Anne, you have been married to the same man, to the, your 
high school sweetheart for 42 years and with him you share five children who are now married. So it seems that on paper, at least from, from the outside, there was nothing to rebuild. Or am I? <laughs> or there was something. <laughs> Can we Great. start with you and your journey? Great question, Rosanna. And and one of the reasons why I am so passionate about equipping people to communicate in a way that aligns with their values is because of my own struggles in our marriage. Um, we uh, are happily married now, uh, 42 years. Uh, I just said to him last night, you're the best. And he rolled over in bed and said, no, you're the best. And uh, he's been working really long hours right now, Rosanna. He's doing like 15 hours a day. Uh, he, we're farmers. And so he's bringing in the crop right now. And uh, so we do have the energy to say that much to each other. <laughs> so it is really sweet right now. Uh, but we uh, we met in uh, high school. Uh, he's my high school sweetheart. I shamelessly chased him. I shamelessly chased this man. There was something different about him. I was so curious about what is going on with this guy. Who is he? What like what makes him so different? He was involved in our leadership in our school. He was involved in his church leadership in fact in fact the Atlantic region for young peoples. That's kind of impressive for a young fifteen year old. And I thought, what is different about him? And so I chased him and I finally got a date, Rosanna. <laughs> wow. And then three years later, we married and the photographer said on our wedding day, I have never seen a couple look at each other the way the two of you look at each other. I was like, oh, <laughs> we were crazy in love, crazy in love. And then fast forward, we were one month after I was after we were married, I was pregnant and very, very sick. Now, what I know about marriage is that in those first, that first year, even the first three years, we're forming habits and systems, which is not sound very romantic, but we are systems for how we communicate, how we conflict, how we decide to have sex, how we spend our money, how we spend our time spiritually and whether we do. All of that is formed in the first few years. And I was sick on the couch, sick as a dog, couldn't do anything. And then we had five children in six years. Wow. And my husband <laughs> was new to farming. Yeah, yeah. My husband was new to farming. He didn't know what he was doing. And so he often came home frustrated. And I often thought, what, what, what did I do? It wasn't anything I did, <laughs> but he was frustrated. The thing is we were so busy with busy farm and busy family life. We didn't have the skills that we needed in order to communicate well and in order to conflict well. And in fact, we are both conflict avoiders. And we learned that was my very first marriage lesson. That's not good for marriage. We were avoiding conflict. We didn't, interestingly enough, we not only didn't want to get hurt, but I didn't want to hurt him. And he's very kind hearted. He didn't want to hurt me. And so we were avoiding the things that we needed to say. And that caused us to grow apart it caused like a creeping separateness and emotional distance in our marriage. And so we would, in avoiding conflict, we would have these, I call it a long, cold, silent war, where we would let things build and build and build 
until resentment would set in and it would become so big, it would become mountainous and one of us would explode. And that's not a good way to do conflict, but that's what we were doing. And so in this emotional distance and this creeping separateness, I was, I'd come to the end of my rope and we were sitting in our farm truck outside our favorite restaurant. I don't know why these things happen on dates, <laughs> but I said to him, I can't do this anymore. And he looked at me and he said, what do you mean? You can't do this anymore. And I could see the panic in his eyes. Right. And I said, I, I can't do marriage like this anymore. I said, we just keep hurting each other. We don't ever resolve anything. We just go around and around the same old thing, hurting each other over and over again. I'm so hurt and I'm so tired. I, what I said that night, I had tried to communicate that in different ways before, but not successfully, very poorly. But that night it landed in his heart and it opened his heart up so that he started to talk about the pain that he was feeling. I didn't even notice that pain because I was so wrapped up in five kids and my own pain. I missed his pain. But that night he shared it with me and we recommitted to each other that we would get the help that we need in order to get well. I think it's the bravest thing in the world to get help. And I think we all need it at some point in time. Oftentimes, many times we need help. And I think it's so important to go for good help. But it's all because of this pivotal conversation that I share with you now that it it put me on a personal growth journey that I needed so badly. I knew I needed to get better. I knew I had a problem. I wasn't communicating well, terribly. And in fact, I couldn't even identify what I was feeling. If he had asked me, what are you feeling in the moment? I would have no idea because I was so practiced at fluffing it over and not identifying or knowing what was going on inside of my head and inside of my heart. And so those were skills that I needed to learn in order to get better at communicating with him and skills that he needed to learn as well. And so that's why I am passionate. We were not a toxic couple. I do believe that if we had stayed there for a longer period of time, we would have become toxic to each other. But at this point, we were uh, what Leslie Vernick calls the difficult couple, where we just didn't have the skills. And then we had external forces pressing in on us and our relationship. Kids can do that, um, especially when they're young, but even when they're older, too. And then we had the external forces of the farm life and then the internal forces, like not having the skills to communicate and conflict well in order to be healthier together. And so that's what I do. That's why I do what I do. That's why I teach how to have effective pivotal conversations, because I know that if I am a people, I am a people pleaser, recovering people pleaser. I am a conflict avoider. I am a peace loving person. And if I can learn to do it, I know other people can too. So I carry this eternal hope in me that um, we can get better. We can get better at the skills to be able to be better together. I, I love your story, and in particular, there is something that you mentioned um, when both of you weren't feeling that the marriage was in a good place, but you couldn't really say what was wrong, and you couldn't say to each other in a way that the other person could actually get it. So if you had to say, okay, there are certain signs, common signs, that 
may indicate that there are issues in the marriage or uh, in this relationship, what would you say the signs are that we really have to pay attention? I know when I see a couple struggling with criticism, like a real critic, more than criticism, but critical spirit, I would call it like everything they do is wrong. And we become the right fighter. We become the right person. We become the hero in the story. And it's always about two people. And uh, and so when I see that, I know that they're really, they're not going to create that emotional closeness or connection that they need in order to have the, the love that they want. And so we need to deal with that critical spirit. And often it comes from that unforgiveness that you talk about, Rosanna. Rosanna. <laughs> often it, I want to say your name right and I know I'm not oh, it's, it's uh, often perfect. it comes from <laughs> often it comes from resentment that builds up and that comes from not forgiving uh, the person for what has happened and that forgiveness it needs to be validated it needs to be the feelings need to be validated. The story behind it needs to be validated because it's very real. But out of that forgiveness, often we form beliefs that aren't necessarily true. And those beliefs drive then our behavior. And so unforgiveness is so detrimental to relationship and such a big part of what I do when I'm working with couples to help whoever is in that place because it's not necessarily always too it depends on where they are in the journey but when one is struggling with unforgiveness and resentment we work through that forgiveness in order to get to a place where they can release it because forgiveness is truly about one person and when they release that forgiveness then they can be free they can be free of that resentment that they have felt toward their partner. And that means that they can see with clear eyes what really is in front of them. And they can see with clear eyes um, their own stuff and take responsibility for their own stuff. I, that's such a huge part of what I do is helping a person take responsibility for their their, their stuff, but not the other person's stuff. That's so important. And when there's resentment, it's all foggy. It's all cloudy. It's all entangled. It's all mixed up together. And there's nobody taking responsibility for anything. And then there's no healing and there's no growth. And that resentment, if it's left, it leads to contempt. And Dr. John Gottman says like contempt is you know that a couple is on the way out the door when contempt comes into the relationship because contempt takes over everything. The person can't do anything right. Um, contempt means I'm superior. I'm better than you are. And then when we move to that place, we're moving out of the relationship in a huge, huge way. So when I see those signs in a, in a relationship, I know that we're going to work our way back through forgiveness and through then rebuilding connection and points of connection is the way I like to think about it. And we can do that. And I've seen couples do that in, in a very big way. And so I have a lot of hope for couples. Uh, I, in fact, I say to couples, um, let me carry hope for you because I have seen miraculous things happen and let me carry for you for time until you find your hope. I can do it for a little while until they find their hope.
I love what you're saying because very often when we think about a marriage that is on the rocks and is very close to uh, the final act, we think that perhaps there are major things um, in terms of, for example, infidelity. You know, we think about these, these sorts of things, but very often is just growing apart without really having an understanding of what's going on. So I think it's, it's very important uh, what you are saying here. Am I right? Absolutely. And those little decisions that we make every day, they matter for connection. And so little things like greeting each other, this sounds, let it sound corny. I don't care. We have to invest. Whatever I plant in the garden of my marriage is going to grow. And so if I'm investing time, if I'm investing some conversation, if I'm investing kindness, that's what is going to grow in my relationship. And so if I take the time, if we take the time to greet each other at the door when, when we're coming home, it's like, I'm happy to see you. Rosanna, I had my father's dog stay here one time years ago. That dog waited for my husband to come home. And when he came home, he raced to the front door with this big tail wag. It was a little tiny squirt of a dog. And he was so excited to see my husband. And I thought, dog, you're putting me to shame. <laughs> <laughs> no competition, no pressure. <laughs> and I have to up my level here a little bit of I'm happy to see you, honey. <laughs> But truly, those little ways that we invest in our marriage and caring for each other, they matter. They make a difference, whether it's, you know, finding out at the beginning of the day, you know, what, what's on your day today, what's on your plate, what's happening today. And then at the end of the day, checking in again. So how did that go? What happened today? How was that appointment? How did that meeting go? Um, what do the potatoes look like? We're potato farmers. Like, what does this variety look like? And be interested in what they're interested in because we're working on connection. I truly believe that a lot of people don't understand the goal of their marriage. Now, for me, the goal of our marriage is connection. And how can we form that connection today? So when you're working 15 hours this today, how are we going to connect today? So we've already sat together and prayed together. We've, we've had, um, we do Wordle together, the New York Times Wordle. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a part of our morning. It's just a fun way to connect. And then um, uh, we did breakfast together. And then he went off. We had lunch together. He's going to come home tonight at 10. And we'll do what I call the high-low appreciation exercise. Rosanna is such an easy way to connect where we ask each other, what was the high point of your day? What was the low point of your day? And then I love this question. We finish with, what do you appreciate about me today? And this exercise alone made such a difference for my husband. He would tell you that he found himself looking for the high point of his day in the middle of the day when he was, when we started doing this exercise and it made him more grateful. It shifted his mindset, which was interesting. We didn't expect that outcome, but that is huge to marriage if we can live with hearts of gratitude. And so there are definite reasons why we fall out of love, not spending that time nurturing and caring for it. Selfishness is a big thing that I see today. And I say, if you want to live like you're single, don't be married. Can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, from what you're saying, uh, there is a, a, 
a, a phrase, a sentence that I heard once is uh, sharing is scary. And <laughs> it, it seems that you are very much going in the same direction. You know, you share your, your day, you share uh, your thoughts, you share experience with the other person. So, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love that. So what sort of qualities would you say that two people need to put on the table uh, in order to have their marriage be successful or if on, uh, on the rocks to uh, be rebuilt? To rebuild um, a marriage when it's struggling, to nurture, spend some time. Dr. Gottman calls it the five magic hours a week. I love how he lays it out. He lays it out in greetings, uh, partings. He lays it out in um, admiration, admiration, spending that time saying, you know, what you appreciate about them today. These are all just little things. Like they might take five minutes a day. They might take two minutes a day. Affection, spending some time being affectionate toward one another. Touch is such a huge bond that we often overlook. And sometimes when I'm working with a couple and I ask them to work on touch, just non-sexual touch, passing in the passing in the kitchen, just touch your shoulder, uh, just moving through, um, moving through the bedroom or whatever, just touch, touch his waist. Touch is so powerful. It helps us to feel close and connected. And then he he lays it out in a weekly date, which is a little bit longer. But I love how he lays that out. And that time, it can't we can't overlook that it's going to take some time to nurture our relationships. Um, the the second thing that healthy marriages get to is mutuality. But there has to be some trust built. And if we're struggling in relationship, that trust is going to come down. I like to think about trust as being on a scale. And it's never high all the time because when you hurt me, it slips down a little bit. And I wonder, like, do you really care? <laughs> and so um, that trust needs to be rebuilt in relationship. And that trust only comes when two people work on it. So forgiveness is for one. It's just for you or for me to, to forgive, and that sets us free. But rebuilding trust requires two people. And it requires the first person, the one who has betrayed, let's say, maybe it's financially or perhaps it's sexually, an affair or whatever. It requires that person to be open and honest, completely vulnerable about where they are, what they're doing, what's happening. It's to be completely vulnerable and naked, so to speak, about what's going on in their lives so that they can rebuild trust. But the other one has to risk as well. And what they risk is they risk believing that we can rebuild this trust. And so in the meantime, you may hurt me because we haven't been doing this very well. And so that risk is also for the other person. And I think often that's overlooked, that it's not just about the other person, who has betrayed, it's about the one who is innocent, so to speak, in being vulnerable to being hurt again, risking that hurt in order to rebuild trust. And I think the deeper the pain, the more important it is to get help while they're doing that. And so that they can have an outside perspective while they are rebuilding trust. I think that's incredibly important. 
eventually want to get to the place where we're mutual. We don't want it to be all about one person. We don't need a hero. Uh, we want it to be mutual so that two people are working on it together. So I do believe that one person can work on marriage alone for a little while, but eventually the other person needs to come along too in order for it to be healthy, in order for both people to feel close and connected in the way that we're talking about. I love what you said about risking, taking the risk of actually, you know, engage with the other person to save uh, the marriage. Because I think that sometimes we get too comfortable in a, in a situation and not taking that risk. We don't value perhaps what, what we have enough to, to leap forward and, uh, and to say, okay, uh, I need to invest time. I need to invest energy and effort in making this thing work. And perhaps even in terms of society, we are so used, we can divorce, we can split up, we can, you know, you live your, in your house, I live in mine. The ease that uh, we, we, we have around us to, to break and, and stop situations that become a little bit uncomfortable, I think, uh, perhaps uh, a big part of, uh, of the issue. What, what's your thought about it? Absolutely. It's a big part of the issue. And our friends don't like to see us in pain either. So very quickly, they side with us and they say, oh, you need to leave them. They're a jerk. <laughs> and that's not incredibly helpful. And so when I'm working with a couple and they're in a bad place, I encourage them to, to have people around them for the time being who truly support the marriage and don't take sides with them. So they make it easy for them to leave because there are so many important lessons that we learn in the desert. This is going to be a desert time and it's going to be a process. It's we made a decision to get well, but then we walked the process and it was desert like Rosanna. It wasn't easy. It was hard, stinking hard, but we learned so many important lessons in the desert that we needed to learn personally and together as a couple and we I don't think we could have learned those lessons any other way and that's why I do what I do because I'm so confident that the lessons that we learned are not just for us but they're for other couples too and the desert is important and the desert is important not to it's not to be afraid of uh, but it is important to get help going through the desert so that we don't walk alone so that we have somebody who can cheer us on on our really bad days because there are bad days in the desert and so that we, when we, because when we come out the other side, it is so incredibly sweet. It is so incredibly good. And I, I say, I said to my husband a while back, I'm so glad that you did give up on us when we walked through that time. And he said to me, I'm so glad you didn't give up on me when we walked through that time. Um, it takes that commitment in order to walk through that desert. And that's when commitment really kicks in. It really kicks in when the times get hard and it keeps us there in a relationship for a time so that we can walk through hard times to come out the other end and be better for it on the other side. So you mentioned a lack of commitment and giving up on the other person. What would you say are other pitfalls or um, mistakes that perhaps normally couples uh, do when trying to rebuild their marriage that perhaps can be an obstacle in, in that sense? I think some of the obstacles are selfishness. I want what I want and you're not giving me what I want. But at the same time, I'm not really able to articulate 
what it is I want. And so when I tell you what I want, it comes in a great big, massive torrent of words. And you, especially men, I'm, I'm going to generalize here, but the men that I see, they want their women to be clear and concise. They want their partner to be clear and concise about what they want. And then they're, a lot of them are only too happy to do it, but they don't know exactly what it means when they say, I want you to love me more. What does that look like? What does that mean? Let's be specific about that. What is it that you really want? And unless we can articulate that clearly, we don't even know if they've hit the mark and they certainly don't know if they've hit the mark either. And so I think that's one of the challenges because that requires vulnerability. And we are scared. We are terrified of vulnerability, especially when we're hurt. That vulnerability piece, it cannot be overlooked. And we have to be able to articulate what it is. We truly, how we feel, what we think, what we want, what's troubling us. Those are important questions to be able to articulate clearly and concisely so that our partner knows how to move forward. So let's talk about communication. You, you mentioned this word a number of times and uh, communication skills is, is, is critical. Um, I always uh, uh, talk about communication dynamics uh, because sometimes it's not just what we say, but it's also what we imply with what we say and what the other person perceives uh, about it. So there is a lot going on in terms of psychological sort of messages uh, as well. Uh, so what kind of communication would be a good one? Can you give us some examples, for example? Absolutely. So I teach my couples to have pivotal conversations. So pivotal conversations are conversations where the goal is to make a shift or a change in some way because something isn't working. And so like in the conversation that we had that I shared with you uh, in our farm truck outside our favorite restaurant where something wasn't working, it was our marriage wasn't working, communication wasn't working, conflict wasn't working, so many things we needed. So this pivotal conversation shifted what wasn't working and put us on a different path. So those pivotal conversations, they require that honesty, some honesty. Now, pivotal conversations aren't just for married couples, they're for all of our lives. And you're going to have pivotal conversations every single day. And so the other thing about pivotal conversations is they're going to be sensitive either to one person or to both. But this is what I love about pivotal conversations. They bring clarity to either the person or to the relationship. So they could be conversations that sound something like this, you know, like I have this commitment that I want to take on. Uh, I'm going to be busy three nights a week. That's going to take time away from us. Let's talk about this. Can we make this work? That's a pivotal conversation because it's going to take time away from the couple. Um, it might be a conversation that you have around the budget. Um, perhaps somebody has lost a job and they need to make some major shifts to their budget. And perhaps they even need to kind of trash that special holiday that they've been planning for a couple of years. That's a pivotal conversation. That's going to be a big pivotal conversation about how to shift their finances and how to move forward uh, in their lives financially as a family. And so these pivotal conversations are so incredibly important because they 
define where the couple is. They give them clarity about what each partner wants because it's mutual. It's going to be a mutual conversation, not a monologue, but a dialogue. And they're going to be able to talk about hard things in a way that there's an expectation that it's okay. It's okay to talk about hard things. It's really important to talk about the hard things so that they can move forward, so that they can grow their connection with one another. You know, I think one of the reasons why we put them off is because my kind-hearted people, they want to keep the peace and they don't want to conflict. And Dr. Gary Smalley, the first marriage lesson we learned was Dr. Gary Smalley said, conflict is the doorway to intimacy. When we conflict well, into me you see. And not only that, I get to see into me too. I have discovered that when we conflict well, I not only see into you and you not only see into me, but I get to see more about my heart and what's really going on there that I might have missed because we go deeper. We go on into the unconscious that we're not even aware of when we have those really good pivotal conversations. I remember having one with my husband where his dad had been rushed to emerge. He was in critical condition. I was waiting at home for word and I was waiting for my husband to call or text. And for some reason, I didn't think I would text. I was waiting for him, waiting. Every time the phone would you know, ring or text, I would jump at the phone. It wasn't him. By the time he came home for lunch, I was so upset. I let him have it. I was at my worst. Why haven't you texted me? Why didn't you call me? Why didn't you let me know? Is your father still alive? What's going on? And he looked at me. He was at his best. And he looked at me and he said, I haven't messaged you or called you because there's no new news. How can I do this differently next time? I was mad. I wasn't ready to give up yet. Why haven't you texted me? Why haven't you called me? Why didn't you let me know what's going on? Even if you don't know what's happening, I just need to know. I just need to know what's going, what's happening with him. I've never felt like I'm a part of this family. Went into the unconscious. I didn't know that was there, Rosanna. I thought that was old stuff that I had already dealt with. But there was another level, another layer of that pain that then gave me air quotes, opportunity <laughs> to go to my thinking chair is what I like to call it and process through, okay, what was that about? And I give my people these four questions. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's really troubling you here? And what is it that you really want? Because what you really want may not be what you want, right? And so that question, what do you really want? And in journaling those questions, I recognize, like, even as soon as it was out of my mouth, I knew, oh, man, this is, this is a lie, first of all, because I am a part of this family. And you've already done some work here. But what else is happening here? And it was just another layer, another level of that my own pain, nothing to do with his family, really, but my own pain in belonging and needing to belong gave me that opportunity and that's what pivotal conversations do for us they help us to see not only into each other but into each into ourselves as well which i think is so incredibly powerful it gives us opportunity to grow again there are two aspects that i really loved of what you said 
The first is when you are vulnerable and you sort of give permission to the other person also to show their vulnerability. And the other is uh, when we are in, that, in those moments where we really want to fight and we really are upset, then let it go of, of those emotions and, and say, okay, come down here. You know, there, there was an emergency or that there was no news, like in your case. It's difficult to, to give up on that. We, we have this uh, attitude of, of saying, no, I'm right. Uh, you know, I, I, I have this, this feeling, I have all these emotions, and, and I'm totally right in behaving this way. So give me space right now. But what you are saying is also, when you feel that way, then pause, basically, and analyze, assess the situation, right? And it, as in that case, I was highly triggered. So it's not going to happen in that moment, but it can happen after I settle down because when we're triggered, we have a lot of physiological things going on. Our heart, our heart rate, and I think it might triple in, in, in time. That makes us really tired afterwards. The blood pressure rises. But so once that settles down, it takes about 20 to 30 minutes, then we can go and figure out. And I call it checking emotions. And we can even do that before a pivotal conversation, which I think is so incredibly valuable because if we do this kind of on an ongoing basis to check our emotions, then we get better at it. And I needed to get better at this so badly because I couldn't identify those feelings in the beginning. I couldn't identify what it was I was thinking because it was so tangled up together. And so these questions were invaluable to me to be able to check my emotions. And now I can do it much faster than I used to be able to because it's more of a habit in checking. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Oh yeah, this is why I'm troubled. This is what's going on here. And it really, I journal these questions and it really validates those thoughts and those feelings and what I'm worried about. And then it helps me to clarify, okay, what is it that I really want here? And so we call that the, the first C of our pivotal conversations. And the second C is that communicate and clarify. Then I can share with the other person, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's troubling me. This is what I want. And then to invite the other person to share what's going on with you. Tell me what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you really want. And when you when you practice, these are skills. When we practice these, we get better at them. So that can that can help to draw us together too when we practice these skills of pivotal conversations. I I love that. Would you say that when you are in that state where you feel supercharged and you cannot really uh, give up a centimeter, uh, you know, from where, where you're standing. Would it be best to say, let's pause a moment, let's re reconvene in half an hour or an hour when you are settled and you have had some time to analyze your situation or perhaps it's breathing and you carry on the conversation straight away? When it's highly charged, that's a fantastic, I call it giving myself a timeout. <laughs> need a timeout. 
<laughs> and that's when I do go for my thing, my, to my thinking chair, or I love to go for a walk. That really helps me process when I'm moving and it helps get rid of some of that excess energy that's going on when I'm really upset or really angry. That's can be incredibly helpful and really important. And you said another thing that's really important to Rosanna and it was, let's come back to this. And so I used to give myself a timeout without telling my husband I was what I was doing. And he was like, well, wait a minute. Like, this is important. When are we going to talk about this? <laughs> and I would walk away and that kind of puts me in the power seat. And now I have learned, no, we need to set a time. Let's talk about this in an hour. Let's talk about this tomorrow. I need to process some things. It's really important to do that for the other person so that they know, okay, you care about this and you are going to come back to this conversation. Fantastic. Listen, um, life challenges us every step of the way. And you mentioned in your story at the very beginning, you know, newlywed, you had five children, one after the other within six years. So these things obviously put a lot of stress on the relationship. How can we navigate this situation in a way that we grow individually as a couple and the marriage also evolve in, uh, uh, you know, with us and uh, we, we learn and we put back all this learning in, into our relationship so we can thrive again together. How can we do that? Yeah, I think that it's so incredibly important to be on a personal growth journey yourself. Um, I don't bring 50% to the marriage. I bring 100% and he brings 100%. That is so much better when... I am on a growth journey when I am learning more about me because that growth journey enables me to take responsibility for myself and 100% responsibility for the things I say, for the attitudes I carry. Um, you know, he's working these long hours right now, Rosanna. I used to say to him, you work too much. You work too much. Uh, now I recognize I'm lonely. I need to see my girlfriends. I need to see my people in this season to care for me. I'm responsible for me and I need to take responsibility for me. And now I say to him, I miss you. I miss you. So when I can care for myself and when I can um, be on that personal growth journey and continue to grow in my communication skills and, and continue to be a, a, a better conflictor, then we can be better together too. And when we can do that mutually, that is, that is a beautiful thing. And so that journey I have discovered looks different for different people, uh, how they do that. And so it's, it, it may look different. It, somebody may be listening to podcasts and learning things about themselves. Somebody may be journaling. Somebody may be seeing a counselor or a therapist. Uh, there are so many different ways that we can grow and be on that journey. But I do think that that's vitally important for our marriages, for the health and the continually growing in our marriage. It's not static. Uh, it's always changing. And so we want to be on that trajectory where we continue to grow uh, in ourselves so that we can bring our best self to the marriage. I, I love this thing of each bringing 100% in, into the marriage because very often we think, you know, we uh, share, right? So if it, the marriage is 100%, I put 50% and you put the other 50%. No, we should show up 
uh, both of us in, uh, in the same way and uh, at the best of our ability. Uh, so that is uh, uh, already fantastic uh, advice for, for everybody to recognize that we have to put really a significant um, you know, input in, in our relationship. Secrets. Mm. How do we do uh, uh, you know, with secrets? Because I remember my grandmother used to say, in a marriage there should be no secrets whatsoever. Sometimes, however, there are some secrets that perhaps can hurt the other person. And uh, it's nothing particularly wrong or nothing, you know, to... But it's just something that perhaps we believe that they, they might feel bad about it or no, no comfortable knowing that. How do we do with secrets? That's a really good question, Rosanna. I think it takes wisdom. I don't like to have any secrets uh, between my husband and I. At the same time, he doesn't need to know every thought, I think, because that's a lot of thoughts and that would be way too much for him. <laughs> I think it's important to share secrets that are going to impact our connection. So if the goal is connection and I have this secret, say for instance, I'm attracted to somebody and if I carry that secret with me, I think that makes me vulnerable to an unemotional affair at the very least. And so that kind of secret, I need to lay it on the table before it goes anywhere. And then it's not going to go anywhere. And I think we need to nurture that kind of relationship where that kind of honesty and vulnerability is welcomed. Always looking for connection, not looking to hurt the other person. So if I'm sharing that because I want to hurt the other person, then that's not going to be helpful for connection. So always thinking about the end in mind and the connection that we're looking for. I think secrets can be detrimental to relationship. Um, when we when I have worked with couples who have had affairs, I give them two weeks to talk about everything and anything and the person to ask any question you want to know it all right now, because we're going to close that up in two weeks. So the person isn't forever on the hot seat wondering, you know, is this going to, is this going to go on forever? So they have a certain amount of time to talk about it all, get it all out. Because when I work with you, I'm going to pull you together. And if he or she learns new information about the betrayal that happened six months ago, but it's new information to, to that person, then it's going to destroy the connection that we've built in those six months. So I'm not sure that I've really clearly answered your question. I think it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to deal with secrets. And I think it's always thinking about the goal. Is this going to take us closer to the goal? Or is this, is this thing, this secret, going to hurt our connection? Anything that remotely has to do with affairs or betrayals, money, secrets, anything that's happening in the present, I think those need to be revealed immediately. Something mm -hmm. that has happened in the past, that takes a lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom. I think you answer uh, extremely well, extremely well. And in fact, you mentioned money. And when I was thinking about that question, in fact, I had a friend in mind, married, I think, 15 years or something. And I believe as per today, she still ignore 
how much he earns. I always found that a little bit strange and odd. If you cannot ask, because that's the other thing, it's not just the secret that we keep with the other person, it's the secret that the other person doesn't feel like asking because they are afraid or they are concerned that something may come from it. So would you say, for example, that is good to ask questions? If they make you feel uncomfortable. Yes, even if they make you uncomfortable, it's important to ask those questions. And money is a big deal. Um, our lives, that's how we pay our bills. That's how we feed our kids. That's how we uh, go on family vacations. And if and by withholding that information, that person is withholding a part of themselves that they're not bringing that 100% to the relationship so they can plan together. Even if it's, well, this, this 50% is mine and 50% is ours, however that goes, whatever that conversation looks like, it needs to be together. And you're, when I feel like there are secrets being held or withheld, then it pulls, we, we talked about trust being on a slide. It's going to pull that trust down. Cause I don't know what else you're hiding from me. If you're hiding this, what else are you hiding from me? And so that really hurts that trust. And then that, that, that's also going to hurt the, the way that we rely on each other because I'm, if I don't trust you, how can I really rely on you to help with the household bills or to help with the family trip that we hope to have because you're not open and honest about the money that you're making. Fantastic. In fact, carry on from this, I found a quote from uh, Frederick Nietzsche who said, it's not a lack of love, but a lack of friendship that makes unhappy marriages. Mm -hmm. And oh, us... And trust has a lot to do with the, 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 that feeling of uh, feeling like a friend uh, with the other person. What do you think about it? Absolutely. When I tr trust you, I can tell you anything. And I know it's not going to be all over social media. It's, a, it's I can cry on your shoulder about the hardest things. And you tell me not to tell anybody. And I know that I, I have a confidence because my trust is telling me my trust actually talks to me and it's telling me I can trust Rosanna with anything I can tell her my deepest darkest secrets and she's going to hold it for me and so that builds incredible confidence in the relationship um, so yeah trust and friend I love that uh, quote by Nietzsche about friendship vitally important for relationship yeah and Loneliness is a big problem today. And that knowing that you have that friend is incredibly important to, to beat off loneliness. Have you ever come across situations that were beyond repair? Yes. I have come across situations where the relationship was toxic. Uh, incredibly, I call it soul sucking. Like one person is demanding, demeaning, critical they isolate their people away from other people. They control maybe access to money or friendships or um, they control even spirituality. Um, they might even manipulate um, truth in order to get their way. And so it can be, I have seen people get very, very sick in these toxic kind of relationships. And so that 
is beyond repair. The thing about the toxic relationship is it's easy, I find today, for people to throw words around, Rosanna, and it's a bit troubling to me when we throw around words like narcissism and toxicity, toxic people, without any kind of perimeters or definition around it. What I have discovered as a coach is when I'm working with a couple, I don't know who's in front of me. I only know what they tell me. And I know over time, I see the signs. It's the same for all of us. We start to put the, the signs together and then we get a pattern and we start to see the pattern and we know what we have. It takes time to see the pattern and identify what the pattern is. And we all behave like idiots by times. I do idiot things. <laughs> I do jerky things. Mm -hmm. And, but it's the pattern that reveals the reality of what you really have. And so that's why we don't give up too soon before we really know, oh yeah, this is soul sucking and this is beyond repair because the other person absolutely refuses to change, refuses to get help. And by the way, this kind of person needs personal help, not marital help. So help yourself first and then uh, we help together uh, this marriage to to be repaired. yes yes uh, absolutely fantastic advice thank you thank you so much and i would like to come back uh, to you now and uh, understand a little bit more what you're doing if there is anything you want to share with us what you are working on and uh, what do you have in the pipeline mm -hmm. Well, I have a, a program called How to Avoid Falling for a Jerk, uh, which has been written by Dr. John Van Epp, but I teach this course on a regular basis and I teach it online virtually. And so we have that coming up in November and that that's on a rotating basis. That's a five week, one hour a week course. It's in and out pretty quick. And I also have um, a membership for Christian women who want to, who are interested in their faith and want to grow in their relationship and in their pivotal conversations. And I also work one-on-one -on -one with couples and with individuals who are struggling in relationship and they want to have uh, better conversations and they want to have better relationships. I love to see uh, people thrive in their relationships. I can help you if you're working on forgiveness. Um, I have a free resource I would love to share with your people, Rosanna, if I could. Oh, thank you. Yes, I appreciate that. Uh, and it's uh, my pleasure. Go, go ahead. No, I, I believe it's the one uh, on uh, pivotal conversation. Uh, is, that, is that correct? Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. So if people want to know a little bit more about you, where they can find you? Yes, um, you can find me. I'm on Facebook at Ann Visser. Uh, my company is Four Better Forever. That's the numerical number four better and the numerical number forever.com. And uh, the best way to stay in touch with me is to join that seven day challenge that that gift that I'm offering today. Each day we send out a simple uh, exercise with a short video and you can follow along. It's how to prepare for your next pivotal conversation. I think the preparation is so important and, and overlooked today. And so I'll help you get ready for your next pivotal conversation. And when you sign up for that, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which is called Tuesday Brew with Anne. And I share their weekly communication tips to help you communicate in a way that aligns with your values.
Fantastic. Thank you so much. We will put all the links in the description of today's episode. Very final question. If there was one take-home message that you would love everybody to remember from this conversation, what that would be? Love and marriage take time and take investment. And I would like to encourage your listeners that one can work on marriage for a time uh, to build trust and in order to find love again, to rekindle love, to rebuild love, uh, take 100% responsibility for yourself uh, moving forward so that you can grow in yourself. And in the end, whether your relationship actually thrives or not, you will thrive. And that is your opportunity for your relationship to thrive as well. Wow, that's absolutely beautiful. Well, I hope that this episode has provided insights and inspiration. Now, even a troublesome marriage can still be saved and rebuilt with the right commitment and determination. But don't take my word for it. Carol Bryant said, love is a two-way street constantly under construction. And thank you so much for accepting our invitation, for coming on the show and sharing so much about your personal uh, story and life experience, uh, but also about all these tips. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people will uh, find them very, very useful. Thank you. Well, great big thank you to you, Rosanna, for having me on the Forgive and Thrive podcast. It's a pleasure to meet you and to share with you today. And, and I hope everyone has enjoyed today. I'm sure um, as much as uh, I did. Well, we would love to know what you think about this topic. Is your marriage on the rocks? Can the tips and conversation we just had help you? I hope so. And let us know. So get in touch. Don't forget to check Anne's website to follow her on social media. Uh, we will put all the links, including the freebie for the seven day challenge on uh, how to prepare your next pivotal conversation that has, has kindly made available for us uh, in the description of today's episode. If you have been affected in any way by the topic we discussed today, as always, I invite you to seek professional help. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiventrive at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.